This is Season 2, Episode 5 of the Launch School Podcast. In this episode, I got a chance to speak with Nick Calaby, a Capstone graduate and software engineer at Timescale DB. We talked about how he went from getting his master's in theological studies to now working on cloud infrastructure, making six figures, all working remotely from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Nick is one of the first remote people we took into Capstone, so the remote job hunt is a topic we focused on in this conversation. Now, this episode was recorded in late 2019. It is now April 2020. At the time of recording, we were not yet in a pandemic, and so we didn't talk about that at all. Now, in April 2020, we're in the middle of quarantine and shelter-in-place rules, and all employers are interviewing remotely. I think remote jobs will only become more prevalent, especially in software, and I hope this conversation shows that there are also amazing engineering-centric remote jobs within the reach of Launch School graduates. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Launch School Podcast, where we discuss education, programming, and how to build a rewarding career in software engineering. Welcome to the Launch School Podcast. Today we have Nick Calaby. Hey, Nick, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks. All right, Nick. Um, so you finished Capstone. It's been uh, how long now? A few, six months or something like that? Yeah, since we completed our project in around the end of December, so... I guess six months since the job hunt had started in January or so. Well, after the job hunt, yeah, six months or so I've been at my current job. So, yeah. So you've been working for um, a while now, and I've been trying to uh, this season interview uh, some 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 folks who are not in launch school in Capstone but have finished and have been working for a little bit. So to share a perspective in terms of how you know what they learned at launch school has contributed to their job. So. That's that's why you're on today. Are you ready to talk about that? Yeah. Before we get into that, maybe just a real quick, what what are you working on now? Where are you? What do you uh, what do you do? Um, so I currently work for Timescale DB. Uh, Timescale is a time series database. Uh, more specifically, it's a PostgreSQL extension, and it allows for high ingestion rates for Postgres. Uh, normally, SQL databases aren't well known for dealing with lots of inserts. Uh, and post and time scale kind of solves that problem for time series data. More specifically, I'm on the cloud team, so I'm helping to build out time scales cloud native offering. So eventually, we can have a kind of time scale as a service. It sounds amazing. Time time series databases are just such a hot topic nowadays. Yeah. It's so cool to get into a company like TimescaleDB. I, I remember. I think I've seen a few places that they are right now the kind of the most popular databases popping up. Um, yeah. You know, time scale is one of them. I think the big. No SQL one everyone heard of is uh, InfluxDB. So, yeah, it, it's just one of the hottest areas right now. Um, and it's, it's just amazing, amazing place to be, amazing area and domain to to develop ex- expertise in. Um, and where, where are you located? I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Is, is that Timescale DB head, headquarters? <laughs> no, no, no. Timescale's uh, American headquarters is in New York City. Uh, so, I am full time remote. Uh, most our team is, well, Timescale is a company, it's a distributed company. We have a bunch of people in Europe and we have a bunch of people over the States. I think we recently just got our first Canadian. Um, oh, wow. so, <laughs> yeah, we are, we are a global team and a distributed team, uh, by nature. That's cool. It's kind of like a, the Capstone project where everyone's all over the place. And you yeah, know. it was a nice way to segue in because, because of the way Capstone works and how, you know, I worked with my teammate, uh, Sasha completely distributed. She's in, she was at the time in Chicago and I'm still in Tulsa. Mm. I mean, I was already used to that kind of flow. So transitioning to time scale wasn't a problem at all. Yeah. 
All right, sensitive question. Are you willing to share how much you make? Yeah, uh, uh, currently, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Currently, I, I have a six-figure salary. Um, In Tulsa? Yeah. Not bad, not bad. Yeah, no, not, not bad at all. Um, Working for Times, Timescale Database, uh, DB. So that's, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty amazing. Uh, how, how, did you, how did you get here? So I, I know Launch Goal is part of that journey, but maybe, um, yeah. maybe just right before Launch Goal. Maybe we don't have to, we don't have to start from childhood, but um, <laughs> from uh, maybe uh, education and, and, and onwards and yeah. how, how you got into Launch Goal and all that. Sure. Um, well, I had done my undergrad at the University of Connecticut, um, graduated in 2011, had a couple years off. One of those years I went and I did Cityer, which is an AmeriCorps program, basically working in inner city schools, helping uh, kids trying to improve their grades, stuff like that. And then after another year off, I did a master's degree at Holy Cross Greek Orthodox School of Theology in Brookline, Mass., um, which is where I met my wife. Uh, at the time, I was, and so we got this married. This is Massachusetts, you said? Yeah, that's in Brookline, Mass. Yeah, oh, okay. Massachusetts. Uh, a couple months after I graduated, because it was only a two-year degree, a master's degree, uh, my wife and I got married. And within the first couple months, uh, she was pregnant with her first kid. Um, originally, I wanted to go into academia and maybe pursue a doctorate, but I had to realize the fact that with my wife being pregnant and knowing that I was, you know, we we're going to have this family, did I really want to put my family through seven years of postdoctoral postgraduate studies and doctoral studies to at best probably walk out as an adjunct professor <laughs> making maybe minimum wage if I'm lucky? Uh, so, so it was clearly no. And I had to kind of put aside my own wants for the sake of my family and find something else. That was kind of a year of not knowing what to do, kind of looking around, seeing what I could make of my English degree. Um, and nothing really was coming out of it. And so at the behest of actually a, a, a priest that I knew, uh, he kept telling me to go into programming, um, which I was a little resistant to. I had no background in programming. Uh, both my degrees are in the humanities, so I figured I probably just didn't have the right brain for it. In hindsight, I think sometimes the left-right division is a little overstated because, you know, when you're dealing with uh, heavy philosophy, you know, guys like Heidegger, or Kant, you, you develop, you know, your right brain quite a bit too, even mm -hmm. though that's shoved into the humanities. Mm -hmm. um, so, but the programming experience I did have, uh, which I guess I could call as a background, wasn't programming per se, but back when I was even younger, I used to do a lot more uh, video games. And in particular, I would do a lot of kind of custom map making and mod editing. And I think some of the same ideas that go into that, if else conditionals, booleans, events, triggers, and how they all affect one another, they all play into programming. It's just you're doing everything through a graphical user interface. So programming, it eventually came easy to me. I finally said, okay, I'm gonna go this route. But the problem was then what? I didn't wanna go back to school again. I already had two degrees. I didn't wanna to have to wait a comp sci degree. And I was looking online, looking at a lot of boot camps, but of course they were wanting a lot of money, um, money I really didn't have. And then I stumbled across launch school. And the two things about launch school that sold me, um, the first, of course, is the price, <laughs> 200 a month is definitely affordable. Uh, but the other thing was the mastery-based learning paradigm, uh, because it really didn't take a lot of convincing for me. It's, I didn't have a name for it, but it's pretty much the paradigm I had kind of stumbled onto myself for learning languages. Uh, in my time before grad school, I had learned Japanese, and then in grad school, I had to learn Greek. Um, and kind of when I was learning Japanese, you know, there was all these kind of things for languages of shortcuts and you can learn it, you know, this way or that way. And 
eventually got fed up and I just said, okay, get me a grammar book and I'll get flashcards and I'll do it the old fashioned way with a tutor. And that worked. And it kind of, I think, was evidence to myself of this kind of, you know, just put your nose in the books, do it the old fashioned hard way, and it's probably going to work fine. Um, in launch school, mastery based learning in general kind of reminds me of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, learn the fundamentals, learn them well, lots of practice. It's not always going to be the most exciting. That's fine because you're going to have the foundation, the base later on for doing other things. So I started, I did the orientation in April of 2017. I started the paid program in June of 2017 and I finished the core curriculum in July of 2018. So it took me slightly over a year. Um, was it full-time where you're working? So in the beginning, it was not full-time. I had another job. I was working uh, as a contract worker and, you know, I was doing 30 hours a week there and I do try to get 15 hours a week in, for launch school. Uh, that eventually, uh, stopped. And so then I was kind of doing part-time, I would say full-time, but really it's part-time because at that time I was watching my newborn or my one-year-old daughter mm, yeah. <laughs> and also doing launch school. So it was kind of like, like two jobs. Yeah. Yeah. My wife works, uh, as a PRN SLP, a speech language pathologist. So, you know, she, it's not a part-time gig. It's when they need her, but the company she works for, thankfully needs her quite frequently. Um, at least then. And of course in March of 2018, my son was born, so then we had two kids. Um, and near June, I want to say, uh, around May, yeah, May to June, May through July of 2018, I was actually able to go full time, 40 hours a week, uh, launch school, and and that's when I really kicked through the the remaining portion. I think I did the course 2:30 in a month, which mm-hmm. is really hard. Yeah. Um, so, but I kind of had to because I knew I was going to be doing capstone. Right. And so I just pushed myself, but yeah, at that point I was able to do it full time. So, but I mean, you know, and everyone has to go at their own pace. Like I said, I've already had kind of previous exposure to this paradigm. So I was able to do it, I think a bit quicker than maybe right. people who hadn't, I was already used to it. So people who were launch school, it's the first time they've encountered mastery based learning. It's going to take longer. That's totally fine. Right. You have to learn how to learn first. I kind of already had that. So it made it a bit easier. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people are attracted by our pricing, right? Because they come to us thinking it's a low price, but our it's not. Um, we lead with our pedagogy, and we always say we have a pedagogy-led pricing, right? So sometimes people will say, "Well, of course you want people to stay as long as possible because you have this uh, monthly pricing scheme," but our monthly pricing scheme is actually a result of our mastery-based pedagogy. So. It's uh, a reflection of that. And like you said, if you are somebody who has a history of um, excellent learning habits and you, you know how to learn, you know exactly what you need to do every step of the way, you can get through this fairly quickly. But mm-hmm. if you haven't developed that, it's okay. You know, take your time, right? Take your time to learn the core study skills that's going to be important, not just to get you a job, but to stay at a job and keep growing your career, right? These right. are absolutely critical skills. Like, for example, you're you know since you've been working, how many new technology topics or concepts have you had to learn in just in like six months? <laughs> oh boy! Um, so first of all, uh, I program in Go or GoLang, right? Which is not taught at launch school. Right. Um, at all. So right. I had to learn. Now, to be fair, I starting I started learning Go a couple weeks before I officially accepted the role at timescale because there was a, another company that was looking pretty good at um that i knew i would also be learning go and i wanted to learn it anyway 
And I think Go has the advantage that for a, a typed language, it's a lot easier to, like, I think it's much easier for someone if they want to learn a typed language to transition from Ruby and JavaScript, like you have at launch school, to something like Go, as opposed to something like Rust. I think mm-hmm. Rust has a much steeper learning curve. Uh, I don't think Go does, and so it makes a, a great language to kind of transition. So I had to learn more of Go, though, and get better at it. Um, and then, let's see, since then, uh, uh, gRPC, um, so there's the Google Remote Procedural Calls, mm-hmm. the portal buff syntax that goes with that. Um, for streaming architecture, we use something called NATS, NATS.io. It's part of the CNCF, or the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. It's one of their incubating projects. Uh, I have a little bit of experience with Kafka from when I worked on Kronos, my capstone project, so that did help there. Uh, the streaming concepts were already there, but of course I had to learn the new API. I had to learn GraphQL for one of the microservices I had to build. Which we I don't had, cover at launch school either. Yeah, we don't cover at launch school. I had to learn GraphQL and implement it in Go. I had to learn, uh, lately I've been learning Prometheus for doing metrics, um, other things like GitLab, um, Kubernetes, of course. I knew Docker from my project, but I really didn't have a lot of experience with Kubernetes. So I had to ramp up on that. And of course, using things like Helm, which are for doing Kubernetes deployments. Um, so what if there are students who are like, hey, I, if, you, if you give me a chance, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm willing to learn all those things. Like Go, I don't know Go. I don't know how to program, but I, I'll learn Go. I'll, I'll learn Prometheus. I'll learn Kafka. I'll learn Docker and Kubernetes. Like, if you give me a chance, I'll do it. How do you, how do you respond to that? Well, I mean, if you don't know how to program, I don't understand how you're going to do any of this. <laughs> um, but you have to show a strong aptitude in the fundamentals behind front end. Well, uh, on the sphere that you're going to work on. So I, I work on back end development, I guess you could say, you know, um, microservice architecture, but it's back end. I don't work on the front end. But if, if you can't show that you don't understand the basic foundational concepts pretty well, you're not going to get. Uh, this kind of a job. They're only going to trust people who can pick up these technologies real quickly because they've shown how to do it previously. I think that's what Kronos really was. Mm-hmm. Um, keep in mind, before Sasha and I made Kronos, we had never even heard of Apache Kafka. <laughs> we had never heard of streaming architecture or event-driven architecture, right? Which is what Kronos is as a, as a system, just to an extent and not quite, but, you know, and we also hadn't heard of time series databases. We hadn't heard of Docker. Um, these are all things that we had to learn, but that was after the core curriculum and it's because it was after the core curriculum, you know, we were able to drill down real quickly and learn the concepts. And it's, I want to be clear, it's not just programming, right? I think, especially when you're working on a a cloud infrastructure, you need to have a good, at least a fundamental grasp of distributed systems and how those works. I know Mm -hmm. Julius, Julius Zerwick, not too long ago, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's, that's the next level beyond, right? If you can't, if you can't code the basics that we know at launch school, I don't think you're going to be able to wrestle with the distributed system and things right. like, you know, hexes and having to use locks and, right. you know, um, race conditions and all sorts of stuff that comes with that. And, you know, eventual consistency, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, these are all more advanced topics and look at, it's kind of like, even when you approach any of these frameworks, you look at Kubernetes, you want to do the more advanced stuff right away. But even with Kubernetes, you need to have a basic understanding of what Kubernetes is for the problems it's trying to solve and how to use it at a very basic level before you can go into the more advanced stuff. It's always the temptation is to grab, I think, for the new tool um, without understanding why you're using it. You know, I had a, a friend of mine who's a developer, and we were kind of talking about this with front end. He says, I can always tell when an app is a React application because it takes a bit longer to load. 
Hmm. Uh, and he says a lot of the time his frustration with React is not as, as a framework because he thinks it's very good for what it's meant for, which is very interactive applications. But he sees it used in cases where static HTML would be fine, right? And that's not the use case for React. Now, that might be the use case for something like Gatsby JS, but that's not the use case for React if you have a basic, you know, homepage. It's just not because if, if it's a static page, you don't need to have be, you know, using, I think, the React DOM, et cetera. And I think it's a misunderstanding of what tools are for uh, because they're what's in and new. You know, Kubernetes was built for a particular reason. Prometheus was built for a particular reason. And you need to understand the reasons those were why they were built before you can apply them to your own systems. Understand the problems that are yeah, not, not the tool. That's exactly right. right. Yeah. Um, and even with these tools, you know, you can't, you're not going to master them. It's, you know, it's not like launch school. Once you get into a job, you know, you have to learn a, a baseline. So you usually reach for a tool, even when you're working on a job for a particular reason, right? I needed to know the basics of Kubernetes because we need to be able to deploy this microservice to our development environment. So I need to just go and look at the documents for Kubernetes and Helm as just so I can get the job done for the day. <laughs> and then on other time is when you continue to go deeper into these tools to get a better understanding. I think with launch school, you know, when you're learning Ruby or when you're learning JavaScript, it's all you're really focusing on. Mm -hmm. Once you're in a job, you're kind of doing two tracks at once. You're getting what you need to know to solve the particular task at hand. And then kind of on the side, you're learning the tool in better depth because you know you're going to be needing it. Yeah, you got to solve that short-term problem. You can't be sitting right. there for three months, you know, trying yeah. to master Kafka before you even use it. Because, yeah, because I mean, even Kubernetes, I know it's the one I keep harping on is because it's, it's a popular technology right now. If, if, if someone says, you know, we need to get, you need to set up a Helm chart for this, you're not going to go and do mastery-based learning for a, a month on Kubernetes and Helm. Right. It may take longer, to be honest, but you're not going to be able to do that first and then <laughs> and solve your problem within the next couple of days. You've got to do just-in-time learning, right? Which is yeah, in exactly. contrast to mastery-based learning. Just-in-time yeah. learning is a concept yeah. I wrote about in our uh, Medium publication on Launch School. And um, it is exactly what employers are looking for. And it's the type of learning that you need to employ on the job. And that's, that's why there's a fallacy of just learn barely enough to get a job and you'll learn everything you need on a job. Well, you're not going to be able to do mastery-based learning on the job. So you better make sure your fundamentals are good. Right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you'll, right. you won't ever be able to make that jump because mm -hmm. the only thing you can and employers will give you time to do is just in time learning. Yeah. Um, and another thing you said about distributed programming and, and uh, distributed systems, how um, it's sort of the next step from, you know, just coding like a little application. I think it's, it reminds me of that phrase um, where I read it sets, uh, I forgot who the author is, but it says something like the difference between software engineering and programming is that software engineering is uh, programming integrated over time, right? So it's this idea of these applications. Sure, you build an application, but when you are thinking about this application being deployed over a long period of time with a lot of usage, you have a lot of data, all of a sudden, you know, you have all these different concerns that come up besides just how, you know, what happens when I click this button, right? It's not really feature or code specific. It's really data specific and mm -hmm. how data flows um, across infrastructure. And that's just becoming a bigger and bigger problem as all the applications consume more and more data and obviously why something like time series database exists. And certainly that's, I think the, you know, an evolution of the next step of software engineering, um, thanks to the proliferation of cloud services, but from a learning perspective, right, you got to go one step at a time. It doesn't mean you just go there, 
right? Because software engineering as a field has been progressing, has been evolving. And you, you sort of just have to go from the beginning, right? You have to learn basic variables and programming languages, basic networking concepts, you know, basic database concepts. Yeah. By basic, I mean just like relational database concepts, right? Yeah. Because a lot of people see these sort of new technologies come out, you know, you, just a few years ago, it was like MongoDB, right? Should I learn Mongo instead of relational database? No, you shouldn't, right? You should learn relational database and then learn Mongo if you want. Mm -hmm. And I think same, same thing with time series database, right? Imagine somebody not knowing how a relational database works and yeah. jumping straight into time series database. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I still don't know how, how to use Mongo, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, uh, no, it's, it's true. I think, I think the intimidation comes from with the explosion of technologies that come, especially I think in the JavaScript world in particular with it's, you know, there's, I saw a quote, I forget where it's from, but uh, a, a new drinking game could be, you find a word and then see if there's a that dot JS as some sort of framework. <laughs> and if there is, you take a drink. Um, there's not, but, you better create one. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the thing is, uh, speaking from experience now, because again, I had no formal programming training before uh, launch school, is that once you know the fundamentals of how it works, it's not hard to pick up these frameworks. Um, in fact, you can pick up the base. I mean, if you go get like a, a Udemy, um, which is a Udemy.com, you know, course for $9.99, right? Nine bucks, 99 cents on something like React. You go through that, you're going to have a pretty good idea of how to use React. And you're going to be able to You'll be surprised how many times the instructor will stop and say, you know, well, in this syntax here, this is what you're doing. You're like, I know, I, I had to write about that on my test. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you'll be fine. And even picking up new language, I mean. <sighs> but doing it the other way, I think, is really detrimental. I think that's oh, where a lot it, of people start, it, right? It doesn't, you, yeah, no, because you're putting the cart before the horse, right? If you don't know how to use JavaScript, if you don't have a program, how, how are you ever going to figure out React? I mean, I don't understand how you could. Uh, I, and if you did, you'd be so limited in what you could do. And you don't want to do that because it limits your options of what jobs you want to do. And it's just going to, it's going to stultify you and you're not going to enjoy that, you know? And the thing too, is that even if you get out of the idea of JavaScript, once you know a couple programming languages, you pretty much can go and learn any of them because they're a lot more similar to one another, the majority of them than you would think. Um, right. You yeah. know, if we're, all, you know, we're all solving the same problems, right? And um, right. there's similar problems. And if you understand the problems, then as different solutions pop up, you know, you're, you're just like, okay, that's a new solution. It takes a different approach to solving this problem. But if you understand the problem well, you'll be able to appreciate the solution much easier. New solutions yeah. much easier. Absolutely. Yeah. So kind of bringing it back to learning a little bit, I wanted you to maybe expand a little bit more on your your background in philosophy. And I, I know you... you um, thought about that or theology mm -hmm. and how that maybe helped you in, in programming or, or I don't know if I'm saying that too much, but, or, or, or didn't help <laughs> you. Right. Um, I just, um, the reason I ask yeah. is because I noticed we have a lot of philosophers at launch school and they do really well. And I don't mean like, I guess you can be a, a you know, just kind of a weekend philosopher, but I mean like people who sure. have PhDs in philosophy, let's say that's, that's, that's uh -huh. the group I'm talking about. Yeah. So I think what it is, is in the branch that I was most interested in for, for in the degree I got, which my theology degree was called systematics. Um, and systematics has to deal a lot with, with um, <clears throat> philosophical problems, you know, things of epistemology, mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, and so you're not just reading, you know, you're reading figures from, you know, I said I'm Greek Orthodox, so guys like you 
people wouldn't have heard them before, but Zizoulis or Frodovsky. But then at the same time, you're reading the philosophical influences of that time period as well. So like I said, one of my classes, we were reading being parts from Being in Time by Heidegger. We were reading, you know, parts of Fichte and Schelling from German idealism because they had an influence on, on thinkers like Bulgakov. And so I think the, the, the main thing here is when we're discussing these ideas, they are very hard concepts. And then, of course, you have to write about them. So you have to have a firm grasp, at least of the, of the fundamental ideas that these people are wrestling with, being able to explain it. And then, of course, offering your own thoughts on it. And, you know, I'd, I don't mean it in the sense of you could write anything and that goes. You have to really show you understand what's being said if you're going to write on it. And I think, too, of course, you're making arguments. So you need to make sure your arguments are sound. Um, I think that's true of any branch of, of philosophy, at least of the, the schools I had read up through. Because we're also, I also did, you know, an independent study reading ancient philosophers like Plato, Aristotle, Porphyry, Proclus, uh, Plotinus. And so for me personally, yeah, I think that's what it helps is, you know, <laughs> I'm not worrying about the idea, the problem of forms and the world being in flux or anything. <laughs> programming, but, but, but. The, it's the same thing of seeing when you sit up, you know, I wonder now, is an interface a form? Uh, no, but in all seriousness, it's, it's, I think it's the same thing of just looking at how you're structuring your code and seeing where that will end up. Yeah. And the more you get practice with this, the more you can kind of start to see problems come before they show up and you're able to program a solution. So one programming pattern, like I said, I use Go that I've gotten used to now is you know, there's no real concept of interfaces in Ruby or JavaScript. Uh, I know TypeScript does have interfaces, uh, but in it was something new I had to learn uh, for Golang. And it was really nice because it allows for a design pattern that allows you to make stubs and mocks real easily. Um, and allows for a lot more advanced design patterns. So things are less coupled. And I've really enjoyed it. And the more I've started to code with it, it's become kind of more second nature. When I first started, I didn't really use them much in my early PRs. Uh, and then the more I kind of saw from my peers, uh, the more it, it, it changed my own practices. And so now it kind of becomes second nature and you see the design benefits of it. Um, it is in general. Yeah. So I, I think that's kind of how the background plays in just that. Yeah. Same kind of thinking. And that I would also say applies to English literature, uh, depending on the type of English literature um, that you're, um, the kind of hermeneutics you're using with English you know, which for mine were pretty similar. I, I always cared about authorial intent. So you had to make rigorous argumentation as to why the author is making, you know, this thematic argument in a work. Um, so. Yeah, it's just like working with abstract ideas, right? Concretizing abstract ideas and, mm. um, you know, software is what we do and translate it to code. And, um, you know, in philosophy, you, you write things down. But um, it, 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 I think there's a lot of similar, similar qualities, similar skill sets at play. I've just, that's just one observation I've, I've, uh, I've made, and I've said this before, but you know, people with a, like a law background, same thing, um, mm -hmm. tend to just have a sort of natural affinity towards, uh, programming and the sort of demands of, uh, you know, the interpreter, the compiler. You know, I think in general coding is, we always talk about in PDAC, right. That the kind of, uh, coding is the easiest part because you're really just translating ideas mm -hmm. into, that's it's right. the hardest part is thinking through the problem, you know, and even at, time scale for some of the microservices I've had to build, I have to do design documents first. And um, you could be great at coding, but if you can't think about how a system works in the abstract first and really give a strong reasoning for why it should be architected a certain way, 
doesn't matter how good you are at coding. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're gonna, uh, it's not gonna work. That's right. That's one of the major, major things I want people to take away, even from the very beginning stages of launch school, which is coding is necessary, just like writing is necessary to convey ideas. But the having good ideas and formulating good ideas is key, right? Understanding yeah. problems is key. So it's it's really about, and that just takes a little bit of time, to, you know, to to simmer and digest, right? It's not this weekend you're going to understand it all whole, you know, this whole thing. It's just it may no. take a weekend, it may take you know two weekends, but or, but so be it. It's gonna it's gonna pay off. Uh, I wanted to ask about your job hunt process because you're sure. one of the few remote job seekers, at least thus far in Capstone. Wanted to see how um, how that experience was and if you. You know, I know you talk to your cohort mates and sort of compare mm-hmm. and contrast with them a little bit. Maybe mm-hmm. share a little bit there for, for people who are interested. Yeah. So like I said before, I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, I'm not from here originally. I was born and lived in West Hartford, Connecticut for pretty much my whole life until I got married. My wife is from Tulsa originally. So after we got married, I moved here. And so obviously the tech scene in Tulsa is not startup oriented. Mm-hmm. Um it's a lot more, there's a lot of windows kind of, it's dominated heavily by .NET C Sharp, um, which is, you know, a lot of stuff on windows as opposed to Unix systems, which is kind of more what we're used to. And uh, so I really didn't want to do it. There's a couple places here and there uh, that offers something the more in the lines of what you're learning at launch school. Uh, and I got pretty far in the interview process with one of them. I won't say the company name because they kind of basically had an offering that they didn't actually have. And so they ended up kind of wasting a lot of my time, which was frustrating. But for the remote hunt, you know, it's interesting. I think coming out of launch school, whether you do capstone or not, you need something strong to get your foot in the door because I do think remote work is growing. I think it makes sense uh, being on the internet for more and more distributed teams I do think, though, that the lack of experience can hurt you in a remote job hunt insofar as, you know, usually I think when companies are looking for remote candidates, if they're not a fully distributed company, they um, they want to generally have candidates with experience because I think they can, this is all my intuition, by the way, I don't know this, <laughs> right? Yeah. I think it's because they they feel they can trust them more because they have some experience, right? They have some background and is someone who doesn't, they feel like they might be taking more of a risk. And I totally understand that from a company perspective. One of the things I think students coming to launch school they'll have that will mitigate this is the fact that you've done all of launch school in a distributed learning system, right? So you could talk about that. And for us too, with our capstone project, we did it distributed. So again, it was really easy to be like, I'm used to this kind of workflow. I've worked on distributed teams before. So I've, I've dealt with the, the things that come with that. Um, and, you know, either I'm, and I'm fine with that. Uh, some people aren't and they want to find something local. I understand. I'm totally fine. I like working. Just do, you, do you think that having some prior experience in this case is actually an advantage? In, in, in other words, for like career changers, this, this might be a little yeah. bit of advantage because remote work just requires, uh, you know, higher demands for professionalism and communication that maybe somebody fresh out of college may not have developed already. Yeah, I think launch school in particular is going to give you at least that distinct advantage because you're used to it, right? Um, you're, you're used to doing it both in the core curriculum, and then if you do do capstone or something, you're used to doing it. As you'll definitely be used to doing it, uh, and it will definitely give you a huge advantage. Um, 
And, you know, I personally love working remote because it gives a lot of personal flexibility. I can, you know, I can be at my house at one day. I'd like today, I'm not at my house as I'm doing this. You know, I could go to a different state if I needed to and work. <laughs> um, so it gives, a, I per personally prefer that. And I kind of like that it's just me and the computer because it allows me to focus real easily. Mm -hmm. I think um, if I were in an office, it'd be one of socializing the socializing. <laughs> <laughs> just just yeah. at the water cooler. <laughs> yeah, which yeah. which has its benefits. Don't get me right. wrong, but I, right. me, I, I prefer just being here and focusing on the work personally. One of the um, best pieces of advice I heard about remote work is that make sure the team as a whole, as you alluded to, is is remote, is distributed, as opposed to like making a special consideration for you because. There's so there's gonna be so much sort of hallway banter and team camaraderie and building that you're gonna miss out on, and you're, it's just gonna be hard to grow as a as a you know uh, one of the few or the only remote employee um, in terms of you know raises promotions getting good projects. It's it's just you're not gonna be on people's sort of top of mind as compared to colleagues that are physically around them. So remote work is can be a disadvantage if you're in that type of situation sure but if it's fully yeah. remote like in your situation it can be it can be good well yeah and i i should specify we're a distributed team insofar as anyone can work remote but you know we do have our new york office and there's definitely a segment of the team that's there but then there's a huge segment of the team that's not and what's nice is we make sure to have constant communication we're doing stand-ups every day so we're, we're always talking to one another and um yeah, twice important yeah, and twice a year, uh, we all kind of fly into headquarters at New York for a week. Um, oh, that's so, nice. Twi twice yeah. a year for a week. That's a that's a good chunk of time. Yeah, and which is nice because you finally get to you know see all these people in person. It's it's, it's nice. But um, for the job hunt with remote, I think one of the hardest th hardest things. Well, yeah, I think the, the 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 lack of experience might be the toughest thing. I think that will ch also change over time as remote work becomes more standard. Are you saying, but, are you comparing it to like your cohort mates or what do you, what do you mean by, because yeah, everybody I, in Capstone is the same, you know, similar profile. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah. It kind of, again, like I said, it's just my own kind of gut intuition. I feel like when you're in person, there's all sorts of things that you can do that you don't have as a remote candidate, you know. Oh, you mean um, during an interview process? And during an interview and just getting the interview, I think with remote, which is mm -hmm. tough again, is if they're going, if they're not, if they're not going to take that risk. Because, you know, they can't, if you're in an office, they can watch you, right? Essentially, right. they can make sure you're doing the work. They can't do that as really the same way if you're remote. So there's a bit more of a risk. And I think what so. What do they say? Like 90% of communication is non-verbal. Non so, yeah. so most of it's um, kind of like body language, gestures, mm -hmm. intonation, things like that. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's the one tough thing there. Now, for getting interviews, though, at the same time, um, if you just got to be smart about how you do it. So I kind of looked at it. I had kind of three tiers of how I did this. So the website I use and anyone who wants to do remote work, I would highly suggest this is AngelList because I found it to be the best for finding remote jobs. I didn't find LinkedIn to be that good. Um, and what I would do is I kind of classify, I go through, I find anything that I thought I might be a match for and I would put it into three categories. There's the really, really long shot, which when that was the case, I would just do the AngelList quick apply and kind of just have a little blurb that I could more or less copy or paste, right? And then send it off. If I thought there was a pretty decent chance, um, <clears throat> what I would do is I would actually go to the company website and go through whatever resume process they have on their website. You know, I think that's 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 a bit better. And if I really wanted to work at a company, what I would do is I would try to talk either through LinkedIn or their Slack channel to someone at that company 
and then submit a resume formally or try to get a referral basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I, I, I broke it up like this is because, you know, you, you can't waste your time on companies you think you have a long shot on. And I found it to be pretty good. I mean, you probably remember Chris, I, I, there was only maybe at the very beginning where I didn't, wasn't getting anything. And then even though it took a little bit, once I started getting bites, I was interviewing constantly. Yeah, you're busy. Yeah. It just, it, for whatever odd reason, it took a while uh, before uh, some of the first offers were coming in, but there was a couple, even early on, I got to the last stage and it did well. Now, they, they now said, I always want to qualify. You, you say it took a while only because you had a lot of cohort mates who, you know, finished quite quickly. That's true. Right. So it's all relative. <laughs> I don't want to freak people out. Like you, yeah, you, no, you finish within, you yeah. know, within three months or so, right? Three months, three months. So yeah. that's actually not too bad. So maybe all my stuff about remote, I'm saying this, but my intuition's completely off. But. No, I mean, it's just, uh, I, I look at a lot of some, you know, uh, other bootcamp, um, how they report data. And it's always like six months, right? There'll be like 85% of our graduates got a job within six months. And so, yeah. you know, you got a six figure job remote in Tulsa in three months. I would say that's good, you know, and, but, yeah, um, that is good. I, yeah. I think it, but it, it, it did it, take a while just because I, capstone is so aggressive. I think in that, like, you know, you have a lot of people finishing like in just within the first month. Right. And so you're like, Oh, I'm behind. Oh, I needed like yeah. more. It, yeah. I think, like I said, remote comes with own challenges and you just have to be okay with those challenges. If you are, I think you can get a good job. Again, have a strong project of some kind uh, or something strong to lead with because that will help you in the process because you'll talk about whatever project you're working on. And that's also really a case for you to develop your skills as both a developer and an engineer. And I, I think for me personally, Kronos was invaluable for yeah. where I am working right now. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's definitely an interesting and unique project. What about advice? Any advice for sort of, before we go here, um, any advice for those earlier in the launch school curriculum? Any, any, um, we, we have people right now listening that are like in prep or not even in prep. So mm-hmm. even as far back as that, how do you, you know, there are, just think about you, right? When you're yeah. finished with your master's program and somebody goes, you should learn programming. How do you map, you know, that Nick to the Nick of today? Like, how would you bridge that gap? I would, I think there's two pieces of advice I would give. The first is, um, and I think most students now I see, because I still hang around the Slack channel. I think most, most of the students now kind of implicitly get this. Don't deviate too much from the core curriculum. Right. I went in with the assumption with programming that launch school is going to tell me what I need to know when I need to know it. So if it's not in the current course, I'm not going to worry about it all that much. When I was doing the program full 40 hours a week, I would take an hour a day maybe to do my own reading on the side. Uh, and I would usually do it on something like Ruby or JavaScript. One thing I would, if I could do differently, is I think some of the ideas that I know now are concepts. I would have done that in my free reading time. I would have liked to have learned Docker in my free reading time because it was so easy to pick up. It would have been nice to just have that jump started. But again, that's one out of eight hours a day, right? For the other amount of time, you know, I'm doing either the core curriculum or I was doing coding challenges, right? Mm-hmm. Practicing. Because the reality is if you're coming here because you're learning programming, assume the teacher knows <laughs> more than you, right? <laughs> um, and I think you'll be fine. Uh, don't bother learning. React. Yeah, unless you know, like specifically, like a hundred percent, I want to go over there, right? Like, but I, I feel like most people don't, and they're just kind of yeah, swayed I mean, by some random article they see, and just like, don't miss out on this wave, you know? 
And yeah. it's like FOMO. It's more fear than like, I know for sure I want to do that. And it's, it's an unfounded way of fear. Well, I shouldn't say unfounded, but it, well, maybe it is unfounded fear because think about it. All those waves are built upon the fundamentals, right? So, and look at, by the way, frameworks come and go, right? The fundamentals don't. They're the one thing, our, our industry changes so quickly. But the fundamental concepts we're talking about are going to be here to stay, um, you know. And so if you learn those, by the time you get out, the next wave will be coming. And then if you want to surf on it, go for it. But <laughs> right. don't maturely do it because you're going to wipe out, you know, if we're going to take this analogy. analogy. I like that. I like the surfing or, analogy. Or in the worst case scenario, you get eaten by a shark, right? No, <laughs> but, <laughs> All right. <laughs> but, but it's true, though. This is this is the the unchanging foundation. Now I'm sounding like I'm Plato, right? The unchanging foundation um, upon which we build it on. And then when those things come and go, you know, it you'll be fine. You'll be able to pick them up, no problem, you know. And I would say that is the first piece of advice. Uh, and the second piece of advice would be for people who are worried about the time is don't, because. The book, um, are they still reading in the prep course, uh, the George Leonard book, yeah. The Master? Yeah, it's okay. still there. Yeah. So one of the models in there that I really liked that he talked about was the difference between the master and the hacker. Because I think this was very apt for me. I kind of alluded to the beginning of this this um, interview that I used to kind of do some of these more uh, game modding type things. Mm -hmm. That was always in a very hackerish way. You know, I, I didn't learn, you know, because fundamentals were boring. I wanted to do something now. And so I got very stunted early on in how much I could do. I was, I think, too dependent upon uh, copying tutorials. Uh, and I was able to do some fun stuff, but it was never anything that majorly impressive uh, because it was very much kind of done hackish. Whereas you look at now from I, in April 2017, I was doing, you know, hello world and 99 bottles of beer on the wall. And now I'm, you know, programming microservices for microservice architecture, right? I think the difference is there. And you've said this before, and I think it's true that slow is fast. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, you're, you're making an investment. It will be a little slow uh, for the, in the beginning. But you, have, you can't look at, your growth is not going to be linear, right? Your growth really is going to be exponential. That's how you have to look at it. You know, if this were a linear process, I can understand why you might, someone might be concerned, but it's not, it's exponential. Because once you have those, that baseline down, you're going to be able to pick up things a lot faster than you realize. You got to try and, to get on that curve, right? Try yeah, to hit you right you, on that curve. You'll, you'll, get, you'll get on that curve. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you kind of um, stay at this kind of more hacker level where it's, you're just learning frameworks, you're not really learning the fundamentals, you're at best, you're going to plateau, right? Um, at best, you're going to plateau. So I, I would say, don't worry about the time. You have to treat it as an investment and uh, a year or two of your life or, or even more 10 years from now, if you're willing, hopefully, right? If you're, if you're yeah, the longer you want to stay in this field, the more this path should is, is valid for you, right? Like if you're yeah. not sure if this is a career for you and you're, you know, you just want to build an idea and if that doesn't pan out, you're going to go to pharmacy school, then yeah, this path doesn't make sense. Sure, sure, of course. If, if you're not in it for the long term, then launch school is not for you. If you want to do this just as a little side hobby for fun, you know, no, I would say probably not for you. But if this is what you're trying to do as a career and you're serious about it, yeah, I would obviously say that this this is the path. Um, obviously, I'm, I've done very well through it. So yeah. Let's finish up. Um, and the final thought here is you your company is launching something. Is, is that right? Are you allowed to say or, or no? Um, yeah, I, I, I think so. Uh, I kind of alluded to 
previously, but uh, right, like I said, I'm on the cloud team, so we are about building a cloud native offering. Um, I'm not gonna say when necessarily that will go public, um, but it's something that's coming on the horizon. So for anyone who's interested in timescale, the course can pay attention. I think we were at the top of Hacker News recently because we announced that we have clustering coming up. Um, yep. or that you, we've got, you guys are on top of Hacker News all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen it pop up like three or four times. <laughs> yeah, well, we're kind of doing really well really quickly, which is great. Um, and are you allowed to say what part you worked on it and, and your contribution? Yeah, yeah I think so. Um, kind of what I've been doing uh, on this cloud team is you know, I've been building out some of the uh, key microservices so far. I've built out a couple of them surrounding account, uh, the uh, managing, you know, accounts and stuff like that and projects and whatnot. I helped to build, lay this foundation for the, uh, our kind of central, our GraphQL gateway, as we call it. It's the API that interacts with the rest of the microservice system. I also am working on a, a proof of concept that's thankfully working now. We've got some more to do on it um, called Time SQL is what we're tentatively calling it. So the idea here is that we're going to have in your browser, you'll be able to interact with the terminal that will connect you to a timescale instance in the cloud. So you could, you don't have to download the PSQL binary if you want to just, you know, check on your data or do some, you know, a little experimentation. Uh, probably wouldn't use it for a production use case, but you could use it for, you know, for all sorts of other things. So been able to work on that. I kind of laid the foundation for that. And of course, all of this wasn't done by me solely. And my teammates are, of course, have their hands in it too. Um, and they've been a great team. They're all better than me as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, and, that's but where just, you need to be. That's where you want to be. Yeah, then. because that's how you learn. Yeah. You know, I've learned so much just from them, um, them teaching me both on the system design level and just better coding practices. So, but yeah, so those are kind of the things I've been working on. And that giant stack of technology I've told you about, I just refer to it at this point now as a CNCF stack because the vast majority of it are CNCF projects. That's and awesome. Yeah. Cloud engineering is what I wanted to do. So, and I'll say that timescale was kind of always my number one choice. And so I was stoked when I found out that I was going to work here. And now you're great. building core services in, yeah. in their offerings. And I'll, I'll just leave this. I know I keep saying this, but one last thought is... Um, one of the things that shocked me when I first started working, you know, um, many, many years ago was how features, even at big companies, uh, are, are built by like one person or two people. You know, it's not like hundreds and hundreds of people. Uh, sometimes you're like, oh, you know, Microsoft, they need to do better here. It's it's like one person or two people, right? And mm -hmm. so when you're in these type of roles, you have tremendous responsibility. You're mm -hmm. responsible for a lot, but you got to be capable, mm -hmm. right? You got to know how to at least do you know, just-in-time learning, and, uh, relying on the fundamentals you've already mastered to help you there. Um, otherwise, you don't stand a chance, right? It's not, it's not that you're going to be on a team of like 10 people and you can just watch. It's really great to see sort of you in that position and, and you know, um, in, in, a, in a, such an amazing project, an amazing company. So hopefully, uh, maybe we'll bring you back uh, in the future, season three or four of this podcast and, and <laughs> follow up and see how, how you've grown over time. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to do that. You didn't so. know you just committed like a lifetime to launch when we signed uh, up, right? Or, yeah, we're gonna. Kinda, this is a longitudinal I, study here. <laughs> I kind of figured once I was doing cats, and that was gonna be the case. So we're gonna check in every year. <laughs> yeah. So I'm still on the channel, right? So clearly, I haven't distanced myself that much. Yeah, I like <laughs> I like seeing you guys pop in. Sometimes it's 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 funny because sometimes like Friday nights will just be only like capstone grads. Um, but um, all right. Thanks, thanks so much for taking the time, Nick, and uh, we'll keep in touch. All right. Thanks, thanks again. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Launch School Podcast. 
Check back for new episodes and don't forget to like, subscribe, and review.